I was there in the hospital that day and uh, heard the doctor that her brain was completely submerged in blood, which nobody is supposed to be able to survive, and stood there and heard his grim outlook that she had a 1% chance of, of living, and if she even made that 1% chance, like he said, she'd be a vegetable. And God's sitting there going, yeah, right. In five years, she's going to be standing on a stage singing of my goodness and glory and my mercy. Man, who says God doesn't perform miracles these days anymore? Anybody? Is this my mic? Is this the house? Do, you, do we know? Do I need to switch to something else? It's the house? Okay. So, little glitches, y'all may just have to bear through. Good morning. It's good to be back. Missed y'all last week. I was in Colorado, and even though I missed y'all, I didn't miss the weather. Uh, Tried to bring some of it back with me, um, but they wouldn't let me. uh, Danny told you I was hunting. The hunt was not very successful, but... You know, I think uh, a lot of times a bad day in the mountains beats uh, a good day in 100-degree humidity. So uh, that part of it was good. I enjoyed it, but I did miss y'all, and I'm so glad to be back. Um, One of the things I want to point out before before we get into the Word, um, that Believe class. Uh, you heard some of those testimonies in that, and uh, it's a prerequisite before you take any of the other other two classes. And uh, I've learned that some people assume that that's really just mainly for new believers, for new Christians. And it's not. It's great for new Christians, but it's also great for, like, like Jerry there, who said he has been uh, a Christian for over 40 years and got so much out of it. You know, uh, Jesus addressed the, the church in Ephesus in... in uh, Revelation and said uh, what he had against them was that they had lost their first love. And I think that that's a problem with a lot in the church today is that we have gotten away from the simplicity of truth and of the gospel and we have overcomplicated so many things. And uh, this class is just a great way to, to rediscover some things. And so I encourage you to be a part of that. Okay, Mark chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, turn there. This morning we're going to look at just one of the many events that occurred in uh, the life and ministry of Jesus when he was here on earth. And it's uh, an event, an account that you can easily just pass right on by if you're reading Mark. uh, Because it's kind of buried in part of Mark's account where he just goes right through one miracle of Jesus after another. But what happened here wasn't just another miracle. There was something different about this one, which means that there's something specific God has in this for us, a a message that he has for us. And so we're going to read this, and then we're going to go underneath the surface of what we read and try to hear what the Lord wants to say specifically to us today. So Mark chapter 7, we're going to start in verse 31. So let's all stand together in honor of God's word. Again, he went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis. 
They brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty, and they implored him to lay his hand on him. Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself and put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva. And looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was removed, and he began speaking plainly. And he he gave them orders not to tell anyone, but the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. They were utterly astonished, saying, He has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Let's pray. Lord, you do do all things well. You do them with excellence. God, I pray that this morning we would see that. Lord, I pray that we would hear exactly what it is that you would say to each of us individually and to us corporately as a church body as well. God, I pray that we would leave here different today, knowing that we had an encounter with the King of glory. Jesus, be glorified in everything that I say and use your truth to transform lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, the first thing that really jumped out at me when I read this was, of course, the very unconventional way that Jesus chose to heal this man. In the book of Mark, there are six other instances of Jesus healing someone. And there are also places that say that he, he healed many in the towns that he went into. And so Jesus had healed a lot of folks before we get to this man here. But there are only six instances before this where it talks about uh, the detail, that we know who it was and how Jesus went about doing it. And in each of those accounts of Jesus healing someone, it was by him that just simply commanding that they be healed, that the sickness go away, that the, the, the demons leave or whatever. In three of those times, he actually touched someone when he did it. Simon's mother-in-law and the leper in chapter 1 and Jairus's daughter in chapter 5. All he did with the mother-in-law and the little girl was take them by the hand to just kind of help them up when they were healed. Um, but with the leper, I believe that Jesus made a point to touch him because lepers then were were considered so untouchable. Leprosy was a highly contagious disease and no one dared touch a leper, much less get in, in anywhere near them at all. And so when Jesus healed him, he, he touched him to illustrate his compassion and his power and sovereignty over any disease, no matter how contagious it is. The other three instances of Jesus healing someone in Mark, there, there was no touching at all. He just simply commanded that they be healed, and and it was done. It was also recorded that there were some people who touched him and were healed, or at least grabbed the the hem of his garment. Of course, the the woman with the hemorrhage in chapter 5, the most famous of those. So in all these instances of Jesus healing, the way it was done was either by him simply commanding that they be healed, him commanding and touching them, or someone else reaching out and touching the bottom of his cloak. There was nothing very dramatic in the way that they were healed. The only thing dramatic about it was the fact that they were healed. But then we come to this man in chapter 7. He can't hear, and he has a severe speech impediment. 
The people in the crowd have either seen Jesus heal someone before or they have heard all the talk about it that is going all around town. And they know that all he has to do is simply touch this man and he will be healed. But the truth is Jesus didn't even have to do that. I mean, just the verses before this, it's the, uh, it tells of the woman who asked Jesus to, to, to cast the demons out of her son. And Jesus sees the faith of this woman and he tells to her, go back to your son, the demons are gone. So from that, we know that Jesus doesn't even have to be present with the person in order for them to be set free and healed. He can just declare it from miles away and it's going to be done. So they bring this deaf and dumb man to him. And all he has to do is say, ears be open, tongue be loosed, and it would have been done. That would have been it, but he doesn't do that. Nor does he simply just lay a hand on him and pray for his healing. He doesn't just touch the man's ears. He takes his own fingers and sticks them in the man's ears. Now that right there is weird enough. But then it says he touches his own spit to the man's tongue. So now we have moved from weird into gross. As I was trying to picture this, I realized that there are really two ways that this could have gone down. I mean, look at the wording again of verse 33. It says, Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself and he put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva. So he put his fingers in his ears and then he spit. Now it doesn't say that he put his fingers in his ears, he took one of them out, spit on that finger and touched that to his tongue. He could have done that. I mean, when we read that he touched the spit to his tongue, we automatically assume it was with a a finger. But that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. I mean, it is very possible that he kept his fingers in the man's ears and spat directly onto his tongue. And then the other possibility, of course, is that he did take one finger out and spit on it and touch his tongue. And if he would have done that, he then would have taken that finger that he just spit on and put it back in to the man's ear. Now just imagine how all this must have been taken from the man's point of view. He's got to be wondering, what in the world is this crazy man doing to me? And notice that nowhere in here did he ever ask Jesus to heal him. He didn't. It was the crowd that pushed him forward and asked for Jesus to do it. He didn't ask for this, yet here he is with the man that's sticking his fingers in his ears and spitting on his tongue. If I was this man, I believe I would be pretty upset at this point. I mean, if someone pulled me aside with just me and him spit in my mouth and gave me a wet willy, it would be on. I mean, the story would read, and that's how the fight started. (laughs) And so this man has got to be mad, confused, maybe even a little bit embarrassed at what's, what's happening to him. And in his mind, he's going, what in the heck is going on here? Man, this stinks. I didn't ask for any of this. I'm sure there was a point where he had to be about to react to this in some way if he wasn't just stunned in disbelief at what was happening. 
I mean, most people, they'd be about to react either by pulling away or, or swatting Jesus' hands away from his ears or even taking a swing at him. But just before he does react, he sees Jesus' piercing eyes looking directly into his intently. He sees his mouth moving and he can tell Jesus is saying something. He can't hear it. Maybe he could read lips. If he could, he would have saw that Jesus was saying, be opened. And Jesus pulls his fingers out. And either for the very first time in his life, or the first time in a very long time, we don't know which it was, he hears sounds coming into his head. And it says he begins to speak plainly. Now, I would really love to know what he was speaking plainly at that moment, what his first words were. I mean, it's possible that he could have been cussing Jesus, not realizing what had happened just yet. His first words could have just been, ah, as these strange sounds enter his head. But whatever his first words were, they quickly turned to praise. Talk about a roller coaster of emotions. My goodness. This man goes from confusion and anger to amazement and joy in a matter of seconds. He can hear. He can speak. He no longer has to guess what people are saying uh, to him and no longer has to be frustrated that people can't understand what he is saying to them. His whole life has just been radically changed in an instant. But in order for that to happen, Jesus took him through a very difficult, strange, and tough situation. Why? Why did Jesus do it that way? I mean, why didn't he just command that his ears be open and his tongue be loose without doing all that other weird stuff. Tell you the truth, I have no idea. I don't know why he did it that way. But I do know that for some reason Jesus knew that this was the best way to accomplish his purposes in this man. It obviously wasn't the only way he could have done it. There are many other ways, more simpler, less dramatic ways that he healed people. But in his infinite wisdom, he knew that for this particular man, this was the best way to accomplish what he wanted to do in his life. And it was just for this man. I mean, he didn't do this for anyone else in the crowd because it says he pulled him aside from the crowd by himself. Jesus purposed to do something miraculous in this man's life. He purposed to set him free from the torment that he had been living with for so long. He purposed to heal him of his affliction. And for reasons known only to Jesus, he knew that this was the best possible way to do it. If your trust is in Jesus as the only hope For your salvation. That means you are a favored son or daughter of the Father. And that means that Jesus knew you before you were even formed in your mother's womb. 
It means that God had a plan and a purpose for your life before you were even born. And everyone's always saying, well, I sure wish I knew what God's purpose for my life was. Well, the first thing in your notes there, if you're following along, are things that are included in God's plan and his purpose for you. Part of that plan is to mold you more and more to look like Jesus. No, that doesn't mean grow long hair and a beard. It means to to look the way that he lived, to do the things that, that he did, to love others the way that he loved, to forgive the way that he forgave, to trust the Father the way that he trusted him. Another part of his plan for you is to bring about your humility and his glory like we talked about two weeks ago. He wants you to see him for who he truly is and who you are in light of that. And when you do, you're a change forever. Another part of his plan for you is to lead you into pure joy. What God ultimately wants from us is worship. For us to worship him. Worship is the spillover and the natural result of a heart full of joy. And so because God wants your worship, he is all in on your joy. His plan also includes exposing things in your heart that he wants to set you free from. Hurts that he wants to heal. Strongholds that he wants to break. And sin that he wants to remove. So you want to know what God's plan and his purpose is for you? There's a lot of it right there. And then underneath that or out to the side somewhere on that page, you should write this. Everything God does and allows in your life is the best way for him to accomplish those things. Everything he does and allows in your life, in his infinite wisdom, he knows that that is the best way to accomplish those. No, it's not the only way he could have done it, but for you, he knows it's the best way. There's some of you here today, you're going through something, and you probably feel like that man did at, for a moment there. And you're thinking, what in the world is going on in my life right now? I didn't ask for any of this. You may even be mad about it, just about to react in some way that you probably shouldn't because you're just about at your breaking point. This morning, I believe that God is saying to you, I know that you can't see it right now. I know that this doesn't make any sense to you, but because I love you so much, I have chosen the best possible way to accomplish my good and great purposes in your life. Just trust me. Whatever you are going through right now, And whatever the rest of you will go through in the future, know this. This is the best possible way an infinitely wise God has chosen 
to mold you into the image of his son, to lead you into pure joy. The best possible way to bring things in your heart to the surface that he wants to deal with, the best possible way to eventually heal your hurts and break the strongholds in your life and remove sin, it's the best possible way that he knows to humble you and reveal his glory. All he is asking is that you just submit and trust him. This whole incident here happened at the very height of Jesus' popularity. I mean, people were in a frenzy over him. News about him was spreading all over the region. He had achieved celebrity status, and it was getting crazy. I mean, if it had been nowadays, there had been all kinds of paparazzi following him everywhere and watching his every move. At the beginning of chapter 7, it says that he entered a home in Tyre, and he didn't want anybody to know that it was him, but it says that he could not escape notice. And it's this frenzied crowd that brought this man to Jesus. And after looking at this text up close, I don't believe that they brought this man to Jesus out of, out of much concern for the man at all, as much as it was that they just wanted to see a show. They had heard of all these amazing miracles and wanted to see one for themselves. And I could just uh, picture them crowding around Jesus, just just wanting so desperately to see one of these miracles they had heard about. And, and so they're looking for what could he possibly do. And they see this man. They've seen him in town all the time. And, oh, here's one. And they grab him and they throw him forward. Here you go, Jesus. Here's one. Do your trick on him. And the reason I say that is because in the other instances of Jesus healing someone, there was always something personal And something desperate about it. He healed the leper whom it says fell at Jesus' feet wanting him to heal him. The synagogue official Jairus also fell at his feet pleading for his daughter. Simon's mother-in-law, they were concerned for her and it says that they talked to Jesus about her. The Syrophoenician woman also fell at Jesus' feet pleading with him for her son to cast the demons out of him. In every other case, there was a personal attachment that the the person being healed had to someone or there was a desperate plea either from someone associated with the person or from the actual person themselves. But there is none of that in this account of this man. All it says is they brought him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty and they implored him to lay his hands on him. There's no personal attachment to this man to anyone anywhere in this text. There's no desperate plea for healing. When it says they implored him to lay his hands on him, the original Greek word that was used there for implore literally means to to call for, to summon. And so the crowd, it, it wasn't like the crowd was going, please, Jesus, have mercy on this poor man. No, they were going, here, Jesus, Do one of your miracles now. All this crowd wanted was to be entertained. They just wanted to see this Jesus that they had heard so much about. Do one of his tricks. They didn't care about Jesus the person. They just wanted Jesus the entertainer. 
And folks, that right there describes much of the church in the United States today. In my 16 years of church ministry so far, I've come to learn that there are generally two main reasons that most people go to church. And I'm not saying this applies to everyone. But I think for the most part, these two reasons are why a lot of people in the U.S. go to church. One of the main reasons is they just simply go out of obligation. For some reason, they think that they have to go in order to make God happy or to make Mama happy. For some, it makes them feel good about themselves that they have fulfilled their responsibility. They've done their good deed for the week, especially if they haven't really been doing what they know they they should be doing during the week, and then all of a sudden, well, I've got an obligation now to make up for that by showing up on church Sunday morning, something they can check off their good deed list and be proud of. And the other reason many people go to church is simply for entertainment, which is understandable because we live in such an entertainment-driven culture. So many people look for their church experience to give them the same kind of feeling that they get after watching a good movie or, or seeing a really great football game. And just like people in this story, they aren't looking to encounter Jesus the person because if they did that, that might be just a little bit too uncomfortable. I might have to do something weird in front of people like this man did. It may actually require a change in their life that they're just not yet willing to make. So they just want Jesus the entertainer. Next point in your notes. Jesus didn't come to entertain. He came to pay for sin. He came to set people free. He came to change wicked hearts. And every time someone encounters Jesus, the person, one or more of those things is going to happen. He will either expose some sin in your heart that he wants to get rid of or set you free from a stronghold or or change or heal something in your wicked and wounded heart. When you encounter Jesus, the person, Jesus, the Savior, those things happen. But if you just encounter Jesus, the entertainer, like thousands of people do in church every Sunday, it can make you feel really inspired and excited, but there be absolutely no change in your life at all. Most of those who are part of the crowd around Jesus, even though they loved seeing his miracles, and it made them like him, And were impressed with his power. They would later be the very ones who were calling for his death. Because even though they encountered his presence. They were right there with him. They were absolutely unaffected and unchanged. They still had wicked hearts and were blind to who he truly was. When the woman with the hemorrhage reached out and touched Jesus' cloak. He turned around and said, who touched me? The disciples were like, what do you mean who touched you? There's hundreds of people pressing in all around you. Everybody's touching you. He said, no, I felt power go out from me. Somebody touched me different than the way everybody else is touching me. 
You see, many there encountered him. They were right there with him. They were touching him, but there was only one who was really changed. Unlike the rest of the people, she wasn't looking to be entertained. She was looking to be changed, to be healed. And church, I'm telling you, the presence of Jesus is right here with us this morning. And the question I have for you is, which part of the crowd are you? Are you looking to be entertained? Are you looking to be truly changed? See, there's some of you who come here every Sunday looking for a a great experience where you'll get emotionally stirred by the music. Maybe even shed a tear over it. You'll leave here going, man, worship was good this morning. Ah, you could really feel the Spirit strong in that place today. Some of you may leave going, oh, that was a really good sermon. I like the way he preaches. But then leave here no different at all than you were when you came in. You'll leave here really inspired and uplifted and excited, but go home and still treat your spouse like a dog. Still caught in the claws of addiction. Still absolutely afraid of what everybody else thinks about you. Still bound up in that anger that affects everything you do and every relationship you're involved in. Still pretending to be someone that you're not. Some of you will leave here. It's possible to leave here just as lost as you can be. Maybe knowing something more about Jesus, but still not really knowing him. And you may have thought the service was just great. But the only difference when you leave here is that you're just one more day closer to hell than you were yesterday. But church was really good, wasn't it? When you stand before the judgment throne of God, he's not going to ask anybody, how was church? He won't ask if you are emotionally stirred by the music or the message. He's going to look into your heart to see if it has been truly transformed by the saving power of his son. And many are going to stand there all alone on that day without Jesus there as their advocate speaking in their defense. And the only thing they're going to have to be able to present to God is, but Lord, I cried during worship. I even raised my hands. Man, I got a lot out of that message and I thought it was really good. And God's going to look at them and say, I did not send my son to entertain you. I sent him to save you and to change you. Depart from me, I never knew you. You know what's really sad? Because we do live in such an entertainment-saturated culture. We've got lots of preachers, music leaders, and youth pastors who have been sucked into giving people the entertainment that they crave. And as a result, many churches across this land have become nothing more than rock concerts, Motivational self-help seminars. 
or hyper-charismatic freak shows where they feel more and more pressure every week to be even more sensational than they were the week before. And so they'll do everything they can to pull out every trick known to man to stir up as much emotion as possible and declare that they have had an encounter with God. I've been a part of churches like that. Many of you have told me that you pray for me regularly, and I, I cherish that. I need you to pray for me and the leadership of this church every day. There is one thing I would ask that you pray for when you do. It would be this, that as long as God calls me to preach the gospel, that I would not succumb to the temptation of being an entertainer who relishes the applause of the crowd. Pray that for me and for Danny and for Casey and for Jennifer. Pray that for Darren and every person who plays an instrument or sings up on this stage. Pray that for you. Jesus didn't come for the applause of the crowd. That's why he pulled this man off to the side, away from them, alone. Gosh, think about that. Just the two of them. What an awesome place to be. Just one-on-one there with Jesus. Some of you here this morning, some of you who may be listening on the internet right now, and Jesus is speaking directly to you through this message, and you know it. Kind of feeling that heat coming over you right now, your heart beginning to pump a little faster than it did earlier. He's saying to you, I want you to encounter me one-on-one today. I don't want you to be a part of the crowd. I don't want you to be entertained. I want you to be changed. I want to heal your heart. I want to remove your sin. I want to set you free this morning. Church, how about instead of leaving here merely inspired and emotionally stirred, we leave here permanently changed? That can happen because Jesus is here with us right now. He wants you to see him for who he truly is, for you to be changed by that. And so here's what we're going to do. I'm fixing to pray for us. When I do, praise team's going to come up, and they are going to worship rather than perform for you. And if you know that God is speaking directly to you, I'm going to ask that you do something physical to really cement what God is doing in you right now, and that is to step away from the crowd and to come down here and get alone with God. I mean, I'll be honest with you, there's no more power down here than there is out there. But there is something special about humbling yourself and getting outside your comfort seat and submitting yourself to God. Some of you have never experienced that at all before. 
you just hid at your pew, afraid of what everybody might think. This morning, there's some of you guys going, forget the crowd. I just want you. You know, the change that God takes us through, most of the time, it is a process. A lot of times, God's more about the journey than he is the destination. But you'll never get there just looking to be entertained by Jesus. But I believe there are some of you in here that he intends to touch immediately, to change things now. So I want to encourage you to respond to what he is saying to you. Not to what I'm saying to you, but to what he is saying. Praise team, you come up here as we pray. Lord, I thank you that you are here. It's because you walked out of that tomb that you laid in. That you were placed in three days earlier after you died on the cross. And you walked out of there victorious over sin, death, hell, and the grave. You ascended to the Father, making your life available to us. Well, there's so many here that don't know what that life really is. They know what religion is. They know what ritual is. But not life in you. God, I pray that that would change for somebody in here this morning. God, I pray for those who are going through something so difficult that it's resentment has taken hold in their heart and anger and confusion. And they just will rest assured realizing this morning, God, that you are aware and involved in every detail. And because of your great love for them, you are doing the very best possible thing you can to work out your great purpose in their life. Lord, I pray that they would be able to trust you in that and to fix their eyes on you and not get distracted by anything else. Lord, for those that you are speaking to right now, calling to step away from the crowd, I pray that they have the courage to do that. And they allow you to change them the way that you want them to be changed. Lord, I pray for repentance to just spread throughout this whole place this morning. And that we would leave here knowing not that we were entertained, but that we had an encounter with Jesus, the person. Lord, I pray for salvation to happen in this, in here this morning. That you be glorified. Holy Spirit, come and have your way. Point us to the Son. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together and worship. Respond to the Lord how he's leading you.